You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. I never get tired of that music bed. Hello, you are listening to Orange County's longest running business talk show. And yes, I am your host, Rick Franzi, and we have a great show planned for you today. Why do you ask? Because our guest is Lori Torres. She's an entrepreneur. She's the founder and former CEO of Parcel Pending. Welcome to the show, Lori. Thanks, Rick. Glad to be here. So let's go back in time and tell us what the original inspiration or motivation was for you to start Parcel Pending. Sure. I was working at the Irvine company. I was a senior executive running a portfolio of 44,000 apartments. And I saw this growing problem around packages because everybody was shopping online and the offices were getting inundated with packages. And so I'm a solution finder. So I said, I got to solve this and I think I can do it with technology. And then I realized I actually could solve it for the industry. So I quit my fancy corporate America job and went out and everyone thought I was crazy and started Parcel Pending. Yeah, I'm sure they did because it's tough to give up the day job, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. But you know, it was the best decision I ever made. Yes. Hindsight's 2020. I'm sure it was. And we're going to talk about why here in a little bit. But at that time, how long did it take you to deliberate, to decide? I mean, what was that process like before you did give up the perceived security of a, of a day job? Yeah, I would say I probably um, went in about a six month period trying to figure out what the solution was. How could I come up with these electronic lockers to manage packages, talking to people out there, talking to uh, the couriers? Would they even use this? Would there be any interest? And so I did a lot of kind of homework and investigating before launching the company. And really, and I say launch even before that, because I had to build the, top, the platform, had to find lockers. I had to go to China for manufacturing. And so um, it was probably at least six months while I was still employed and I had fully disclosed it to the Irvine company, said I was going to solve this problem. I didn't realize that I could really solve it for much bigger and that I would leave the company. I thought I was doing it for the company. And then I realized, oh, wait, I can do this for a much bigger audience. And so I did it. So did that spark of inspiration come organically or was it through osmosis that maybe people in your life how how did you it's crazy because it makes no sense i was at corporate america for 30 plus years i grew up in corporate america it was you know stable job i was the breadwinner of my family and so there was no reason for me to quit and start this company and everyone really around me thought i was nuts I, i used to jokingly say that the word crazy was stamped on people's foreheads <laughs> when I told them that I was leaving my job and starting right. this company. But I just right. knew in my bones I had something and I did. That's amazing. So let's let's take the next step. So now you're on your own. You've started the company. How long did it take for you to really feel like your vision was mm-hmm. scaling and you could really like kind of depend on this and this was going to be a business that would reward you? You know, really, it took a year to really come to market. So by the time I wrote the business plan, I developed the software with a team here in Irvine and, um, you know, really got things going and started first sales. That took a year. And then it took another year for things to really take off. I will say we had exponential growth each year. We had 70 percent year over year for four years, four and a half years, really straight until we were acquired. But it was um it was a long journey and a painful one. It's tough starting a company. And, you know, you go from having all these resources at a big corporate <laughs> right. Irvine company, for goodness right. sake, 
And then you have a team of one, me. And so it was pretty challenging. And I remember thinking, gosh, if I don't get out of bed today, nothing will happen. This company won't move forward and it will never have success. But I, I got out of bed because I loved it and I knew it was the right thing. But I worked a lot of hours and there was some price that we all paid for that. Yeah, that's all too common, Lori, that um, early stage entrepreneurs that have been successful in the corporate world, probably, I know it's the case for me too, when I started this business is you, you never worked so hard for so little money, like <laughs> so no many money. hours or no <laughs> money, right? Or actually paying for the privilege of having your own job because right. even though you were growing, it takes a while to get to a burn rate that's break even and you know, it takes even longer for you to be able to take money out of the enterprise. As yeah, founder. that's right. So it's a it's a different world. Not everyone is cut out for it. And yeah. that's that's why I love to have successful entrepreneurs who gave up something really meaningful in their corporate career to bet on what I say is bet on yourself, because that's what you did, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, get, I don't think I looked at it that way at the time that I was betting on myself. I just knew I had something and I'd only had one other idea years prior that I didn't go after. And oh. I thought, I'm not going to let this pass. I just I know you. in my bones there's something here. So, hey, hooray for you, because that, again, uh, people have two and three times like that and they still don't pull the trigger. So here right. we are with a successful entrepreneur and we're talking about that. But um, for people that may not know, tell us what parcel pending is, what you built, who who you help, what problems you solve, et cetera. Sure. So we were solving the package management problem with people living in apartments. And at the time I was running 44,000 units at Irvine Company and um, our residents were just shopping online. And now, you know, it's grown exponentially. But at the time, back in 2012 and 13, when I was building this, it was already a big problem. There were just so many packages coming in. So to solve it, I wanted some type of self-serve. So I came up with a solution of electronic lockers. And so what Parcel Pending is and is still today is an electronic locker company where there's a touchscreen and a keypad and the courier, FedEx, UPS, Amazon can walk straight up to the locker, put in a code, a door pops open and you put the package in. It then sends a notification to the recipient, the renter at the apartment community, and they get a notice that you have a parcel pending come pick it up with this code. So then they walk up to the locker, put in the code, self-service, get their package and off they go. And they can do that 24 seven, which they couldn't do before. They would only get their packages you know, during business hours and packages were getting stolen. And it really was a, a terrible problem. That was just a growing problem. As we know, especially after COVID hit, everyone was shopping online. But even before that, they were shopping online. And every holiday season, there'd be this big conversation around porch pirates. And almost every person can relate because almost every person has had a package stolen. So it was a business that was very easy to understand that electronic locker, package goes into it. It's secure and safe until you come to pick it up with a code. And uh, we grew the company. It, we stayed in the apartment industry for, um, you know, the four and a half, five years that I had the company until sold it. But we also got into retail and we sold to uh, Lowe's Home Improvement Store. And Lowe's put 1,700 locker systems at each of their stores. They had 1,750, I think it was. And they put our lockers in so for buy online, pick up in store. So if you go to Lowe's today, you'll see our lockers. And uh, but also we're in universities and then then we're in a lot of random places. There were we would be in you know a hospital, a library, wherever there was a need for a package to get managed and not managed by a human where you could get access to it. So it sounds like this is 
it's a it was a technology company or is a technology yeah, absolutely absolutely it was a technology play which is funny because i had no technology background other than i was responsible <laughs> at irvine for um any technology initiatives for the apartment division i would be you know the sponsor of it but other than that i really didn't have technology background but it's funny what you learn and it's funny that you if you just know intuitively you can solve a problem with technology you can find the right people that can write the code to do it right but maybe as big of a challenge or maybe bigger, you tell me, was to get the different organizations, companies that you needed to agree to use your platform to use your platform because the carriers had to be be willing to. So how how was that the adoption by the people that you were dependent on? To make it was a huge challenge. And in some places it was easy peasy and other times it was really challenging. And so we built relationships with UPS. I've probably been to UPS headquarters in Atlanta a half a dozen times and we went to FedEx headquarters and, you know, going to talking with folks at Amazon and showed really, it, and Amazon was a challenge because they had different drivers all the time. So there right. wasn't consistency. So it was definitely a challenge. It was not a walk in the park, but a lot of the carriers really found that it was much easier. I can come to one stop, drop all these packages, 50, hundred packages and off I go. And I didn't have to go up and down the stairs or up and down elevators into building after building. So it made life easier for the couriers. And that's when I knew I had something when I spoke with couriers and they would say, oh my God, this would be amazing. But uh, we didn't end up, we'd really never had a, any written type agreement with the carriers, but the drivers just used it because they, um, they knew it was faster and more efficient. And there's, so it's a technology play, but it and it's a relationship ecosystem. And hardware. It's a and, hardware play as well. And I then I was getting to that. Yeah. Yeah, we manufactured in uh, China at first and then moved it over to Vietnam. And so I, you know, would do a trek over to China and by myself and I'd get there and the manufacturers would say, what are you doing here? Where, where, where aren't there people with you? And women don't come here alone. And I was like, oh, I need lockers. We got to solve this. So uh, it was a great learning experience. And, you know, I'd done nothing like that because of my corporate background. So it was really an amazing journey. Did you bootstrap the growth? Were you able to get investment? Tell us about yeah. that. I bootstrapped in the beginning. I got it far enough along to um, get the technology at a very minimum viable product. And then I took some friends and family money. And after that, I did a $1.35 million raise with Tech Coast Angels, Angels in Orange County. And then I did a strategic round of $15 million uh, later on, it, about, I don't know, two years into the company. So there were two raises. And uh, I was really fortunate. We, the company, the way it was structured was that the client would pay for a deposit up front. And that deposit up front mm -hmm. really carried us with cash and helped us buy the lockers and you know do everything that we needed to do. So the second half was more of the profit that came in when they paid that second half. So it was a great business model and it had reoccurring revenue. So it was a, it was a good model all the way around. So I've heard from other founders that when they do the friends and family round of investment, there's a different kind of pressure because of who you're borrowing them or getting to invest in your company. I don't know, Lori, if that was your case or not, but the obligation to friends and family that their money will be well spent and cared for and used to scale. Did yeah. you have that at all? I felt that commitment to all the investors. It wasn't okay. just the friends and family. The minute I took their money, it was like, I have a fiduciary obligation to these people that have made the investment. And um, and it, part of it gave me more of a challenge too. It, it mm. drove me to make sure that I was 
you know, hitting it out of the park as much as we could. And when we had to, you know, shift and make changes, we were going to do it and be nimble as we could because I had these investors and they had given their money and, you know, they did quite well. They had a 20 X on their exit and they were quite happy. And uh, it was a great outcome for the group of investors. So let's talk about your exit because we get to go full circle here with Lori on mm -hmm. Critical Mass Business Talk Show. Tell me about how the exit came about. Well, so it was funny because I always thought that the company would sell in about seven years. That's kind of the average time frame that a company from startup to growth. And you, know, you start talking seven year mark, usually seven to nine years is when you sell. Well, I would get calls from investors and from you know, private equity, venture capital, and I would standard email. I'd say, they'd say, you know, we'd like to talk to you about, you know, in making investment, whatever, blah, blah. And every time I said, I'm heads down, running the company with my hair on fire, get back with me in a year. And this was just a standard email. I just kept sending out every time, heads <laughs> down, running the company, call me in a year. Then a company, Neopost, who is now called Quadient, that bought the company, they came along and same email, heads down, ran the company, call me in a year. And they came back and they said, no, no, we really were in France. You know, Neopost is a company that competes with uh, Pitney Bowes. They were always number one and number two in uh, mail room services, but they mm. knew that they needed something because mail is a dying breed and that they, and packages was a growing uh, problem. And so they said, no, we really want to meet with you. And I was like, hmm, I know of them. It would be strategic sale. I'll talk to you. But, you know, they came out from France and uh, sat at the conference table and probably the first worst day of their life when I said to them, nice to have you here. However, it's too early to sell this company. <laughs> we're not ready. We hadn't even had our first audit yet. We were just interviewing bankers. We were just interviewing attorneys that could help us on the deal. But I was I'm a planner. So I was thinking 18 months out and trying to get things ready for we're going to have an exit in 18, 24 months. And uh, they wanted it and they gave us an offer that we could not refuse. And the deal happened within 32 days. It was crazy from letter of intent, December 17th to money in the bank in January of 2019. It was the craziest deal. I mean, we worked around the clock day and night, the team that we assembled for the acquisition and for due diligence, but it was incredible. And, uh, but, but everything that I did kind of happened really fast from my first fundraise with Tech Coast Angels, I raised funds from pre-screen to money in the bank in seven weeks. And they had had kind of a reputation of not funding companies for a very long time, but they loved the company. And I had an amazing lead who ended up being on the board and he really shepherded uh, and helped me to raise that first million three. And we did it in seven weeks and it was just unheard of. And then I don't know. I talk really fast, as you can tell, so I'm sorry, but everything I do just goes really fast. So to only have the company four and a half years, I didn't even have it long enough to get the five year tax exemption on the first 10 million bucks, which is a bummer. But, um, you know, you got to go. Sometimes you got to go when you got to go. Ever during those 30 days, did you have second thoughts? Well, there, was right an issue, there was an issue that came up because we went into full due diligence. They said, we'll do due diligence light, but they brought in EY. And, you know, I love the people at EY, but <laughs> you do not know how to do due diligence light. That doesn't exist. And um, we got into an issue, a situation, and we were up all night and um, talking with different attorneys trying to solve this. And finally, I said, and I said to my team, I said, look, let's just walk away from this. If they really think oh. it's a problem, we will solve the problem and we can 
get back together in six months or a year when we're really ready because we're really not ready for the sale. Our, our house wasn't clean yet, is the way I said it. You sure. know, we, did, we had systems in place, but we were growing so fast at 70% each year that you just didn't have time to dot every I, cross every T. And so I said, let's, let's walk. So I went back to that and my team, you know, they <laughs> their face. they're like, you right. would walk from this deal. And I was like, yeah, I would. And that was probably the, one of the biggest lessons learned is when you're willing to walk away, it happened with me on raising money as well. And I walked away from the strategic multiple times. And finally, I mean, it started off as a $2 million deal and then a $5 million deal and then a $10 million deal. And then it was a $15 million because I just kept saying, no, this isn't the right deal. No, I, this isn't right. And sure enough, it was right. So it's a funny thing about being willing and not holding on so tight. And by being willing to walk away, it changed the whole due diligence because they said, wait, 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 we'll figure this out. We don't want you to walk. Let's let's solve this. And we want this thing to close. They had motivation. They had reasons that, you know, for their shareholders that they wanted it to close so quickly. And so we kind of knew that. And it gave us a, definitely an advantage in the negotiations. What a teachable moment based on your experience. I uh, really enjoy you sharing that story. That's so powerful. Uh, speaking of powerful stories or maybe business lessons. Do you have a piece of business advice that you could share with the audience here at Critical Mass Business Talk Show? You know, there's some, there's a few things for sure that I could share, but the one I think that I always kind of live by is um, starting a company, you have to be able to execute. And so many people have great ideas, but they don't execute. And to do that, I'm a believer that you need to have a full business plan, a three to five year forecast, and you should be updating that forecast all the time. Know where you want to go. Know what your numbers are going to be. What are your projections? You may not hit them, but you, and funny enough, we did hit them on the revenue side. We blew it on the expense side. I thought I'd have 55 people at the end of when I sold the company and we had 250 people. So I blew that one big time, but still have a plan. And so many people say, oh yeah, the plan's in my head. I'm, you know, I know where I want to go. It's like, no, 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 no have a serious plan that you can look at every day, every week and know where it's going. That's I think that helps. So that's a natural segue, Lori, to ask you what's, what's next for you? What's the future hold? Well, it's a good question. I don't know. I, um, I'm a complete workaholic. And so I went from years and years of my whole career of being a workaholic and then not working for the last two years. So I became a funaholic and all I've been doing is traveling the world and I'm going to hit my seventh continent here in December. And, um, but I'm starting after two years to think about what's next. And I have a couple ideas that are just kind of brewing in me and talking to people and trying to figure out, is there, you know, do I want to do this again? I don't know. I I'd like to do something with my kids. I'd love to start a business with them now. Maybe I don't know. I, I don't, but I feel like, it would be fun, but am I, it's a lot of work. It is intense, but I loved every minute of it, even the painful ones. But the opportunity to do it again with your children, how many children do you have? I have two adult boys and two okay. grandbabies, which is pretty oh, exciting. That's yeah. the new best. I know some new babies. So then it's like, Hey, I can't work too much. I gotta go see the grandbabies. <laughs> you can't, as I, we, I'm a grandfather and uh, you can't describe what that's like. 
you can only yeah. experience it. And congratulations right. that your boys Thank have you. given you those too. So anyway, and be able to be in business with them could be a real kick. Oh, I would love it. Yeah, I didn't want it in the beginning, in the last at personal pending. Right. I really, at the time in their ages and me never being an entrepreneur before, I they asked, you know, could I come work? One of them really wanted to work with me. And I was like, no, I want to be your mom. I don't want to be your boss. And so I'm glad that we kept that line. And, um, but now I think we could do it and probably do be pretty darn successful. If someone would like to connect with you and uh, sort of get to know you a little bit better, where would you suggest they go online to connect? Yeah, with you can find me on LinkedIn. And um, I'm not great at accepting all of my invites, but I if definitely if they send me a message, I always look at the messages and we'll connect with folks on LinkedIn. So Lori Torres. Okay. And uh, that would be nice. And I'm sure people will reach out to you. This I told you at the top of the show, ladies and gentlemen, we were going to have a great show because Lori was our guest and I you'd have to admit she did not disappoint. So thank you for sharing your story with us today. Sure. Thanks for having me. And I'd Take like to care. thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I'd like to thank the audience. You've been a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. If you're an Orange County entrepreneur and you would like to share your story, then reach out to me. I'm Rick R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I on LinkedIn. Coincidentally, that's our website too, rickfranzi.com. Would be happy to talk with you about your story and feature you in a future episode of the program. Haley will work with you to make that happen. Uh, we're always looking to expand our catalog. We have about 1,400 interviews in our catalog of Orange County entrepreneurs over the years and like to add your show to it as we're going to add Lori's today. So until the next time we have a chance to be together, ladies and gentlemen, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction.